Okay, good morning. I'm Tim Snyder. It's the 24th of April, 2018. This is the latest in the series of little talks that I'm giving to express ideas about current events to try to put the confusing series of things which pounds down us every day into some kind of perspective. It's also my chance to share with you ideas as they're forming before they get written down. I've been away for a couple of weeks, sorry about that. Uh, the Road to Unfreedom, which is my new book, came out a couple of weeks ago, and so I've been taking this physical body to lots of other different physical places, which has been making it hard for me to get in front of the camera. But here I am. Today's subject is going to be a question, and the question is, is national security a form of entertainment? Now, obviously my answer to this is going to be no, but first let me lay out why I think so much of what passes for thinking or acting on national security in these times, in this place, in the U.S., is actually a kind of entertainment. So to make this point, I have to, I have to make a distinction between anxiety and fear, which I think is a very important distinction to make. Anxiety is when you're afraid of something that's not actually in the world and which you can't really do anything about. Fear is when you're afraid of something that is in the world and should be causing you to be afraid and about which you can actually do something. Now, this is an important distinction because people who pretend to be making you safe will deliberately provoke your anxiety in cycles. They won't have policy to actually make you safer. They won't do anything about the things you should be afraid of fundamentally. But what they will do is they'll make you anxious about things that don't really matter and then pose as the person who's providing you national security. Whereas a serious strategist, on the other hand, would think not about emotions right at the moment, but about the whole country, the whole society, the entire United States of America, would think about the future of that country and would think about the things we actually should be afraid of. So in 2017, 2018, National security in this country has looked a lot like entertainment, with various threats, tro various threats trotted on to do, you know, to do their 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 little number and then trotted off the stage again. We're supposed to be afraid of Syria. We're supposed to be afraid of North Korea. We're supposed to be afraid of things for a day, and then we're supposed to move on to the next thing. We're supposed to be afraid of various scenarios for nuclear war, um, be it Russia, be it someone else, and we're supposed to be afraid of things like. The immigration of Mexicans, which just, by the way, in case you haven't been following the actual news, doesn't really happen. Um, the notion that you're going to deploy soldiers to the U.S.-Mexican border, which we've done in order to prevent immigration, is a classic example of national security as entertainment. It's very entertaining to, to deploy soldiers. It, it draws attention, but it means nothing because there's no actual threat there. There's nothing that one should actually be afraid of. Likewise, at the extreme, um, planning a march of our, our soldiers down Pennsylvania Avenue, as Mr. Trump also wants to do, is national security as entertainment, or rather entertainment as national security. It doesn't make anyone safer. It just makes you feel a certain kind of anxiety, and then the anxiety releases as you see um, the nice men and women in their uniforms marching down Pennsylvania Avenue. None of it really makes sense. Now, I'm stressing all of this because in addition to this world of entertainment, in addition to this world of anxiety, there is actually a real world out there where there are real threats. And 
it is possible to think about those threats. It's difficult. It's more difficult every day, but it is possible. And I'm speaking about this subject today because it strikes me at where, that we're at rather a turning point on this because of the confirmation hearings of Mike Pompeo. So who is, who is Mike Pompeo and how does Mike Pompeo come into this? Well, there is a big form of, of, of national security as entertainment which was established by the energy industries in this country in the 1980s. Since the 1980s, the entire energy industry of the United States of America has been aware that human action, the release of carbons, causes climate change. And since the 1990s, the entire national security establishment essentially has been arguing that climate change is a threat to the security of the United States. So in the real world, in which both the energy companies and the national security establishment uh, inhabit, everyone is perfectly aware that climate change is real and that it's a problem. Um, the odd thing about the climate change debate in the U.S. is that there is actually no disagreement. The people who claim that climate change doesn't matter actually know perfectly well that it does. This is just a form of entertainment. It's a way of drawing us away from what actually matters. Now, Mike Pompeo is an interesting figure here because Mike Pompeo, who as I'm sure you know, has been um, the head of the CIA and is now going to be confirmed probably to be Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo comes into existence as part of the energy industry. When he becomes a politician, when he runs for office as a congressman from Kansas, his campaign is funded by the Koch brothers and by other uh, energy lobbies to the tune of $1.1 million. And duly elected, he proposes that um, climate change is not real. When he's confirmed as CIA director, he says that it's a terrible mistake to, to say that climate change is a problem for the national security of the United States. However, if we just look at his career a little bit, and if we look at the actual challenges that he'll have to confront, or the challenges that are in front of us now, we can see at a deeper level how, how, how his, his, his own life shows how false the position is. So Lebanon, for example. Mike Pompeo made his name by criticizing Hillary Clinton on Lebanon. Why was there a crisis in Lebanon? Why was there an Arab Spring in the first place? Because of the droughts. Because of the droughts which created the bread lines, which created the riots. Why were there droughts? Because of climate change. Syria is a problem which Mr. Trump can't wish away and which Mr. Pompeo can't wish away. Why is there a problem in Syria? There are many reasons. One of them is a horrifying dictator. One of them is the presence of the Russian army. But one of the root causes is that drought in Syria destroyed what was once called the Fertile Crescent, leading to mass migration to cities, leading to civil unrest, which was one of the conditions of the Civil War. Now, why does this matter? Because Libya and Syria are the kinds of things which Mr. Trump and Mr. Pompeo talk about and will have to talk about. And the main way that US policy could actually make a difference in these parts of the world and in the Muslim world generally is by having a policy on climate change. You see, there's this odd coincidence, which is that the crescent of the world where more than a billion Muslims live is also the place where climate change is having the greatest effect the fastest. If one were serious, about unrest in the Muslim world, if one were really worried about terrorism coming from the Muslim world, one would then, then one would then insist on having a policy about climate change. If you think about foreign policy as entertainment, you'll just let the individual crises come, you'll drop a bomb, you'll launch a missile, you move on to the next thing. If you're really thinking about the Muslim world, if you're really thinking about Muslim terrorism as a growing threat, 
then you would think about climate change. The thing is, climate change makes fake problems real. Um, your, your little entertainment number becomes the real world if you don't address climate change with policy. Mexico's another example. Right now, it's entirely entertainment. Um, but if we continue to desertify Mexico with climate change, there really will be waves of migrants from the south. If we continue to desertify Mexico, um, Mexico City can collapse as groundwater reserves are taken out from under it. And then there really will be mass migration from Mexico to the United States. Do you want to head that off? If you do, then you have to be in favor of a serious policy on climate change. Now, the relationship between climate change and national security is actually even more direct than that. So who are our rivals in the world now? Who, who are the countries that are in the headlines? Russia and China. Let's imagine that you think that Russia is an adversary. Let's imagine that you think that Russia does things that are not in the national security interest of the United States. What's the most effective policy? The most effective policy would be to develop renewable energies because the Russian regime and every regime like it depends precisely on the world being in a carbon economy. You get past the carbon economy, there will not be a Putin-led oligarchical regime in Russia. China. The Chinese, like everybody else, know that climate change is real. The Chinese, unlike us, are devoting a great deal of state investment to renewable energy precisely with the goal of being the people who develop the technology which get us around this bend into a new energy economy. Is that a technological competition that we want to lose? Right? The only way to maintain some kind of parity, technological parity with China, is to acknowledge a real problem and then to invest in the real solutions. But it gets even more direct than that. So let's say you're not concerned about these long-term things. Let's say you just think our, our armed forces can run out to various spots in the world and solve whatever problem arises. Okay, if you want to send the U.S. armed forces out to the world to solve various problems, where do they leave from? They leave from a naval base in Norfolk, Virginia. What's the problem with the naval base in Norfolk, Virginia? The rising tides, the rise of sea level. Because of global warming and the melting of, of ice in the North and South Poles, our own major naval base in Norfolk, Virginia, will soon not be functional. Who is saying that? The United States Navy is saying that, right? So even if you think that these long-term things don't matter and that national security is just a matter of sending um, soldiers and sailors out to hotspots in the world, we're not gonna be able to do that unless we get our minds around climate change. So in all these ways, real national security, the things that we should really be afraid of, as opposed to the entertainment industry around national, national security, the things that we're made to be anxious about day after day. Real national security depends upon thinking about everybody in the country, the country as a whole, the country's future, and that means caring about climate change. So if, we, if this whole thing isn't just a joke, right, if this whole thing isn't just a performance by paid lobbyists, if, if the next Secretary of State is really going to be someone who cares about national security, which one would think would be the basic job description, it has to start with climate change. That's, that's what the real national security interests of the United States are going to have to do with. Thanks.